Hello and welcome to the Success Secret Podcast with Rosso Santalev. I am excited to introduce you to a series of conversations with some of the most successful and inspiring individuals from various industries. My aim is to dive into the stories behind their success and explore the knowledge, strategies, habits, mindsets, and wisdom that have propelled their success. Each episode of the Success Secret Podcast will feature a different guest who will share their unique journey, the challenges they faced, and the lessons they have learned along the way. I will also be covering topics from entrepreneurship and innovation to leadership and personal development. Whether you are an inspiring entrepreneur, a seasoned business professional, or just someone looking to improve your life, the Success Secret Podcast is for you. My goal is to bring you valuable insights and inspiration that will help you achieve your own success in business and life. So get ready to learn and be inspired. The Success Secret Podcast starts now. Well, hello and welcome, Success Great Nation, to this episode of the Success Great Podcast with Rosh Santalib. In this episode, we are going to be talking about the banking crisis in today's world and much more than that. Joining me for this episode, Abby Shimish. He's a co-founder and senior managing member and chief acquisition officer at Amrinot Exchange. He has been operating with the primary and secondary mortgage markets for the last two decades. Abby background lies in residential and commercial mortgage loan organization. He made the full transition into the secondary market and whole loan acquisition early in 2006. As an experienced debt investor, Appy also one of the expert contributors to the world of private note trading for cash flow, exclusive e-magazine and website. He also has been featured in the industry publications such as Realtor.com, Yahoo Finance and others. Appy, welcome to the Success Great Podcast. Thank you, Mr. Talib. Thank you very much for having me. Thank you for being here today with me. So first of all, I want <clears throat> to tell the success secret nation and whoever listening to this what is your definition of success because this is the success secret podcast it's a very good question uh everyone's measure of success um is determined case by case right so we have a general sense of success as a society. It's typically material. Uh, I would like that. I would like to see that success mechanism or the the determination of success be uh, determined more by the you know um, not to get too esoteric right out of the gate, but more of a spiritual and perhaps even a personal. But a level of success is determined on a individual basis. I think depending on where you're starting in your journey. Every success could, I mean, any success, I should say, could be a small step. It could be crossing the finish line on a massive project. I can tell you when I started on my journey um, as a self-employed entrepreneur, um, my, you know, very first success was taking the leap to actually engage in starting my own business. Mm. Um, And from there on, every little win and loss, every failure could lead you to a success. I mean, that is a hundred percent factual. Yeah. Um, but my level and determination of success at this point in my career will be determined by how much I, not necessarily how much I can accumulate, although that is definitely a portion of the success factor because it allows freedom to actually engage with what makes you excited. And some mystics and spiritual folks may say that the energetic signature of your true self is that little bitty bit of excitement that gets you talking, gets you out of bed, that gets you excited. And that to me is a tremendous milestone of success. Yeah, that's amazing. So it's important for people to understand that Things take time. It's not like uh, overnight success or whatever in whatever aspect of things or life or money or whatever it is that you actually want to achieve. So, okay. So now the banking issues. A lot of people are worried about banks. And when <laughs> when they talk about banking, right, for example, a lot of things that happened in the past uh, three or four uh, months, I guess, in the United States and other countries a little bit. So 
do you see that or do you think that people in general should be worried about what is happening or is it some let's say some individual issues here and there based on the work that they have done it was not the correct way to go about things i think it's a combination of both i wouldn't use the word worried although people should be reevaluating where they store their value and what i mean by that is most people store their value in dollars united states dollars and they put those dollars into a, a they deposit those dollars into an account uh checking account a savings account chase bank of america wells fargo you know bank of the west credit unions of some sort um i believe and i feel and i see that it, it would be ideal for every walk of life i don't care if you have two dollars in the bank or you have two billion dollars across multiple banks um if you are storing your value in cash uh as opposed to cash real estate stocks bonds crypto you know if it's just in cash which most people are the other you know the other biggest item is real estate some stocks s p sometimes treasury bonds but if you're storing your value in cash, I would highly recommend that you spread that storage over multiple locations, right? So if you have an account with Wells Fargo, it would be wise to maybe put an account with another bank, preferably, in my opinion, preferably a credit union, um, just to kind of diversify out of the banking system. Although the credit unions do operate under the same mechanisms, and the major difference is between a credit union and a bank for some of those listeners that are not aware is that a bank has a most banks have fiduciary responsibilities to their shareholders through their stocks uh, or their stock price um members are the ones who control the uh leadership i guess you can say at credit union so as a depositor you become a member of the credit union and that credit union will usually reinvest that money back into the local economy or wherever that credit credit union is transacting uh where, where their branches are located what states they operate in which jurisdictions in those states and so forth so again short answer not to worry worry leads to fear fear leads to panic panic leads to mistakes um but i would de definitely take inventory of where you're storing your value nowadays and that doesn't mean to go out and put your cash under the mattress. I don't recommend that at all. Um, doesn't hurt to have cash in house, but I wouldn't say take it all out. And it doesn't really help to buy gold bars either because mm. yes, as gold bars will store your value as they have been for the past 5,400 years pretty um, effectively, try buying a Pepsi with a gold bar, you know, try, Try buy, paying your mortgage with a gold bar. Try going to uh, Starbucks or Be uh, Best Buy with a with a gold bar. It, it's not divisible. It's not easily divisible, and it's not. There's not a lot of velocity, which are two main characteristics of sound money. Mm -hmm. um, not saying it's not sound money. It just doesn't check all the boxes. Yeah, exactly. It's not like it could not be fast liquidity. Maybe you need some time to sell it, I guess. So this is could be a little bit of an issue sometimes if the liquidity in the market is not available, right? That's and, correct. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah absolutely. So, so now, for example, in talk, speaking and talking about people not to worry and these kind of things, but can you explain more what happened to these banks in your own opinion? so people can be aware and know why, why these kind of things happen and take some pointers because like you mentioned one of the option is like to open bank accounts in different banks or different union banks so how can people let's say not all people are financial analysts and can read income statements and <laughs> this kind of financial statements for the banks and their revenues and their losses but let's say general indicators of things that might be happening wrong in banks so they can be aware so banks are incentivized by the monetary policy of the federal reserve right so the federal reserve was brought into existence in 1913 uh the federal reserve act and the irs act passed in tandem on i think christmas eve 
Uh, Senator Aldridge was the one that brought the uh, the bill to the Senate. It passed on Christmas Eve. There was not a lot, lot of folks there. Uh, they were, you know, now with their families. But nevertheless, it did pass. And the passage of the IRS Act, along with the Federal Reserve Act, was to bring stability to the United States monetary policy, the monetary market, right? So you didn't have to worry about going to North Carolina with a North because back in the day, the states would print their own money. So some states, maybe you had a North Carolina dollar or whatever it was called, and you tried to go to New York and you couldn't spend the money in New York if it was North Carolina money. So they, you know, again, I'm spitballing here, but that the, the Federal Reserve came in and they wanted to even this out, which um, uh, they did to a certain extent. So the Federal Reserve dictates policy and then the banks build their strategy around that policy. Why am I saying this? Um, because, you know, we'll fast forward. We're not going to go through the entire monetary policy of the Federal Reserve over the past hundred and, you know, seven years. But I will say that the, um, let's just go back to 2008, right? So we never saw, there's something called the M2 money supply. And it's basically like how many dollars are out there, you know, in, in circulation. And the M2 money supply was much, much smaller. There was less dollars in circulation pre-2008. Mm. What happens? The TARP, uh, Troubled Relief Asset Protection uh, or Asset Program uh, was brought into existence to combat all the toxic mortgages and to, to, to the bank bailout, basically. And in order to do that, they funded 800, they meaning our congr the, the, the upper and lower chambers of the House of Representatives and the Senate um, funded an $800 billion or $700 billion relief program for the banks, which expanded the debt, basically printed almost a trillion dollars. And then from there, we had something called quantitative easing, where the money printers were going crazy. And unfortunately, in our... Uh, the way that our system is structured, and it may or may not be by initial design, but it most certainly is falling into place this way currently, is usually the folks that are the closest to the money printer get the money first, and then the rest kind of trickles down into the economy. Those folks are usually Wall Street. It's usually pension funds, or, you know, hedge funds. Uh, uh, you know, big uh, investment houses like the JP Morgans and the, you know, all these other um, uh, Goldman Sachs and all the, you know, the usual, the usual players, the Black Rocks uh, will at least manage it. And the reason I'm mentioning this is because banks, the interest rates were near zero. Everyone knows this, right? For the past, uh, since 2009 uh, and 2010, the interest rates have just been extremely low, which is fantastic for borrowing money for mortgages. It's not so fantastic for treasuries and bonds, and it's not so fantastic for um, uh, 401ks. Um, but the banks go, okay, we have all of this subsidized money coming from the government, meaning it's artificially being, the interest rates artificially being held down at a very low rate, which means there's dollars flooding the market which usually lands in the hands of financial institutions like banks, specifically the large big box banks, who then make loans, three, four, two, two and a half percent, 30 year fixed. Sometimes they put those loans into mortgage backed securities. That's one strategy that you know, traditional banks have is they'll do 30 year fixed loans and they're earning between two and a half and four and a half percent over the past you know, decade. Um, and those are, those are, those are locked into place for 30 years. So they take their money or the money that they bring into existence through fractional banking. They then lock that money up into, you know, 10 billion, 90 billion, a hundred, excuse me, 10 million, 90 million, a hundred million dollars in loans. And now they know that those loans are going to be repaid over the next 30 years. They also take some of that money and they invest in long-term bonds. They free up, they, they lock their money up for bonds, 10, 20, 30 years. Now their money is locked up. It's fine. That's a great strategy if the money printer is going and the interest rates stay near zero. Great strategy, right? The banks are incentivized to do that instead of going, hey, let's take this 90 million and put it into 30-year loans. Let's take this 90 million and put it into uh, instruments that um, balloon or repay in 10 years. And then we'll do these as short-term investment that pay back in full in five years. 
that's more of a balanced, robust approach. But when you're trying to earn maximum profit, you follow the crowd, right? Because the crowd is following the um, incentivization landscape of the Fed and the Federal Reserve monetary policy. So what happens? Now inflation hits. We have this thing called COVID, a pandemic, changes the landscape of human society. A lot of money, I think, that were printed also in the COVID period. So that's... Yeah, a lot. One hundred percent. The highest. So that that's exactly my point is COVID happens. And then the M2 money supply was going up like this. Right. Slightly, slightly, slightly. COVID March, April 2020 vertical. It just goes vertical there. So it, as this is a, a fact. Um, I wish I had the I guess you can find it on the St. Louis Fed website if you look at it. But in twenty twenty one. Nine, uh, 25% of all dollars on earth, of all dollars on earth, were printed between the years of 1915 and 2019. 25%. The remaining 75% of the money in dollars floating around on earth were printed between April of 2020 and at that point, March of 2021. Well, that's think about that. Well, it's that's, crazy. Yeah, exactly. Like, well, well, that's like, and basically, there is nothing tied to it because I assume that the US uh, went and released the connection from the gold, like I think in the 70s or something like that. August, but, August 15th, 1971 is when yeah. That so, happened. printing money is like and giving people money in the assumption that when you give people money, that will basically go back to the government or go back. Uh, this cycle is not what. I don't know. I'm, there is something wrong here when you print that much money and give mm-hmm. it when actually there is no productivity, right? In the COVID, in the COVID, especially when it had hit hard the world, a lot of people, some people were laid off. A lot of people did not have jobs, did not, were not productive. They were not doing any kind of job. They were just getting these, these stimulus checks. Yeah, exactly. Not a good thing. And well, I understand the intention behind it i don't agree with the execution of how they did it and i also most certainly do not agree with the length in which they did it it should have been done once they did it maybe twice or three times with the last package being the infrastructure bill a 1.2 trillion was printed for the infrastructure bill that uh you know if all indicators were showing that we were normalizing and i really believe that's what kind of pushed not just i many people in the money space right whether that be investment or banking or whatever a lot of people feel that that pushed us really far into the inflationary environment but to answer your question directly i do think that the banks should have behaved differently with their investment strategy i know that i wouldn't invest you know, I would invest my family's money on, you know, if we're going to do this, diversification is a good thing. You don't want to be over diversified, but you should have some diversification. And you would think that FDIC insured bankers uh, or banks that have been around for decades, if not hundreds of years, should know better. And, you know, I find myself sometimes having to explain this when I'm sitting across or sitting on a video call with some of these C-suite executives and not, you know, I'm not talking to Jamie Dimon at, at, at JP Morgan but very, very large mid-level and very, very large credit unions where I'm explaining to them how the money system works, how money printing affects, why their mortgages aren't pricing for what they think they are, you know, what, you know, obviously how inflation affects, you know, capital markets. It blows my mind. But nevertheless, that is why we are here to hopefully shed some light on this, no matter who you are. Yeah, the problem is that sometimes in general, the governments or these financial institutes try to maybe fix certain holes, but when they are trying to fix these certain holes, they open bigger holes and from other sides. <laughs> it's exactly right. Yeah. You, know, you said it. There's yeah. unintended consequences for sure. And what we, you know, you don't, I don't, how do I say this without sounding too biased? Um, you don't, if politicians and lawyers don't build skyscrapers, in engineers do right you don't ask an engineer to you don't ask an attorney or a politician to build a skyscraper you ask you hire an engineer 
I feel like the same thing, the same metric should be applied to our monetary system. You need monetary engineers to understand the intricacies. And I think it's a good mix of uh, some sort of decentralized uh, ledger technology, uh, along with some, you know, smart economic uh, principles guided by humans that have that there's massive oversight, not by other humans, but by digital means. And I don't know what that is yet. I just know the, the ingredients that need to be put into that to fix our money system, a money system which is then blind to color, with no prejudice. No pre- it doesn't matter who you love, who you don't love, where you live, you know, if you work, if you don't work, if you like this one, if you like that one, it's without prejudice. And that, to me, is, um, you know, uh, the, the most equitable, as they say nowadays. A lot of people say when things like when the U.S. government, for example, wants to bail out banks like in the 2008 or whatever and when I help banks I actually watched a movie there are multiple movies that are great like The Big Short and Margin Call and these kind of the movies that are cool to watch actually so uh, what happens is like basically the government either is going to be printing more money right to give to these banks or for example is going to like what's happening now okay things are Uh, maybe the prices of what uh, people are not paying attention to, maybe the prices are the same, right, for anything that they are paying, but the amount that they are getting back, it's less. You know what I mean? It is. You. Uh, everything that you said is absolutely correct. I think that there is, um, you know, there is a uh, a way to understand that the again it comes back to the the value and where you're storing the 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 value right so a lot of people get paid in dollars they put their money in their bank account and that's where they keep it so you know there's not everyone can afford to put their money in real estate and quite frankly there's certain you know real estate is not a sure thing it never really is but it nowadays there's a lot of uncertainty and it does take risk right um i do believe that the uh um there's a systems that need to be put in place to combat the overwhelming and i hate to use these buzz terms but the, the overwhelming gap in it's not just in equity and monetary resources it's in education mm-hmm. and there's an education issue with everything nowadays right i mean there's just a, a lack of education out there but you see it in other countries and you see it happening here now And, you know, there, there are ways to fix it. For instance, the federal government is trying to, you mentioned something about money printing. A lot of people don't realize because of the lack of education. It's, I'm not suggesting that people are stupid. I'm not saying that at all. I'm saying that the folks who are supposed to be reporting this uh, are not doing their job. Mm-hmm. So the Federal Reserve is printing money at the same time they are saying that they're tightening the monetary supply mm. how it how how are they printing money no one's talking about this so if you go to the federal reserve website um and you look up something called the bank term funding program this was immediately brought into existence upon the collapse of the silicon valley bank what does that mean so banks Uh, Q3, quarter three last year, we were getting, uh, my company, our company, Amerinode Exchange, was getting bombarded with lenders. I'm talking large institutions approaching us with massive mortgage portfolios trying to sell. So I'm just going to use this as an example. Um, we were transacting, um, you know, I think the, the, the largest portfolio, uh, uh, we had about $1.2 billion dollars sitting on our desk from October to March of, from 2022 to March, 2023, October 22 to March, 2023, 1.2 billion in unpaid principal balance across commercial non-performing loans and residential, cons- uh, 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 residential owner-occupied and non-owner-occupied loans in, in, specifically in Texas. And the, let's just, I'm just gonna use a hundred million as the example. So uh, a, a lender approached us said, I have a hundred million dollars owed to us on this portfolio it's about you know 750 loans whatever it was 
the interest, the, the average interest rate is about three and a half percent. I want to sell my hundred million dollar portfolio for a hundred million dollars. Well, that means we have to earn a 3.5% rate. Impossible because the inflation rate at the time was 8%. Hmm. So if I buy a portfolio at 3.5, but the inflation rate's 8%, we're underwater, hmm. just like that bank is underwater. So if they're only earning 3.5% on that a whole $100 million portfolio, but the, the inflation's, well, let's just call it seven, uh, is what they were saying at the time. So they are, what, 3.5% underwater? So we say, okay, we'll pay you $80 uh, $80 million for this $100 million portfolio. And they said, absolutely not. We're not losing 20%. We're not doing it. So what happens? The the bank after bank after bank approaches companies like ours and like our competitors, and they were getting nowhere. So the Federal Reserve comes up with this program called the Bank Term Funding Program. And the Federal Reserve says, hey, banks, this is what we're going to do. You give us, you pledge, just like you pledge real estate as collateral and you borrow against it, you know, and like you have a piece of real estate free and clear, you pledge it as collateral and then you borrow against it to pull money out of the real estate um, at a certain LTV. Like if you, if you have $100,000 in real estate, you can only usually borrow $50,000. You can't borrow $100,000 if you pledge 100000 in real estate. That's a very high loan to value ratio. It's very risky. Well, the Federal Reserve goes, hey, We'll lend you $100 million on your $80 million portfolio. So we'll give you $20 million more for free for what it's worth. And then in a year, you pay us back. And if you don't pay us back, just let us know. We'll work something out. And then we'll figure it out then. Mm. All, all of a sudden, all the banks started going to the Federal Reserve. They started printing all this money, giving it to the banks, giving them more than what their assets are worth. So uh, in, in layman's terms, in, in industry terms, they were paying them par or 100 cents on the dollar for something that should have been trading at 80 cents on the dollar. Yeah. And they weren't getting this money out of thin air. They were printing it and they're still printing it. That, my friend, is called quantitative easing. It yeah. just has a new fancy term. So with this, this side of the mouth, they're printing money. And out of this side of the mouth, they're raising interest rates. So the inflation isn't going anywhere mm-hmm. anytime soon. That is just public domain. Um, and, you know, so uh, anyone that says that they're going to lower rates or, you know, if they, they may pause interest rate hikes, and the only reason they would pause interest rate hikes is that the um, employment situation in our country gets a lot worse. Because if oh. the employment starts going down and you keep pushing rates up, then it's 1929 all over again and we're mm-hmm. in a depression. Awesome. Um, so. There is a lot of things happening. Like I hear about what they call the BRICS, like opposite to the G7, like now because everything that's happening with the US dollar, right? And there's things around it, surrounding the US dollar. These countries with the BRICS, which is like, uh, I think they are Brazil, Russia, South Africa, India, and uh, China. China, yes. These five countries, also they are about 31% of the world economy and GDP, and the G7 is about the 30%. So these with time have came on and took on the G7 along the way. And there are a lot of countries that want to join the BRICS, right? So this is one thing. The other thing is these countries want to start dealing with each other in their own currency. Right. For example, Brazil wants to uh, trade with China, not with the US dollar, which is usually happens. They want to trade each other, for example, with the Chinese yuan or whatever currency in Brazil is. So (laughs) this is a lot of things happening. I know. Do you think this is related to all of this? Absolutely. 100 percent. I think that there's more to the story, but I absolutely think that I also think it has a lot to do with uh, Fed now. Uh, That's called Fed now which is a digital currency pilot program that gets launched by the Federal Reserve in July. So we are now digitizing the U.S. dollar. Now, most of the dollars are digitized. There's not a lot of dollars that are physical dollars on this planet. But, you know, most of it's digitized codes, zeros and ones living in computers. But what they want to do is they want to put this on a centralized blockchain Mm. and uh, they want to create something called a central bank digital currency. So I think a lot of these bank failures, if you look at the facts and you look at the 
the paper trail and you look at the, the trail of carnage left behind, like if you go to the scene of the crime, so to speak, and you put your investigative hat on, you'll find that most of the bank failures that occurred, starting with Silvergate, which is the largest, uh, the first failure that no one talks about, really? which happened. I about, thought it yeah, was SVP. That... Silvergate happened four days before uh, SVP. And the reason Silvergate was a full-blown crypto lender. So they, they, they lent money, they lent US dollars to companies like MicroStrategy, to Coinbase, to FTX. So they were, they were lending money directly to crypto exchanges. They, uh, this, uh, Silicon Valley Bank was the second largest holder of capital for crypto startups out there. And then of course, Signature Bank, which was another one that got seized. It wasn't even in trouble. It got seized. Um, that too was a crypt, uh, uh, had their foot heavily uh, planted in the crypto market. And then of course, First Republic was a Bay Area, San Francisco bank, which naturally had a lot of tech and, and, and crypto startup capital there. So there's there's an indication uh, amongst the uh, economic uh, community, um, especially the Austrian economic community, saying that this is a, um, a bottleneck to uh, make sure that there's a smooth rollout for the central bank digital currency. That is going to directly combat, once that CBDC is set up and active and, and proof of uh, concept occurs in our country, in our sphere, um, we're going to find that that's going to be used as a defense against the BRICS mm -hmm. coalescing around uh, something called um, the, the, well, it's going to be the digital yuan, but in essence, the IMF, the International Monetary Fund, also has their basket of currencies that they're trying to push to combat or compete with the US dollar and that's called special drawing rights or SDRs. And what that is, is that's like the S&P 500. So that's a basket. And inside that basket, you have dollar, American dollars, you have euros, you have the yuan, you have the yen, um, you know, you have uh, a basket of currencies that uh, will make up the international trade um, uh, medium uh, or, or currency. So it's a very interesting time. And then of course you have uh, the other proponents um, of, uh, you know, the the granddaddy of digital assets, which is Bitcoin itself. And there, there lies... Speaking of Bitcoin, like, I don't know, basically, when I look at the cryptocurrencies in general, if we're going to be talking about, they have, like, no value at all, basically, I think, because there is nothing is tied to it. Maybe the technology behind it, the blockchain, that's fine. That's one thing. But as currencies in general, all of the cryptocurrencies, the only thing that happens is the demand. People that might, I might think that Bitcoin might go up. So I would buy now in hopes to the price would go up and then I sell. So a lot of these things and like you mentioned now, the digitalized dollars and these kind of things, wouldn't that be bad for the dollar that much? It's also... So you are correct where there's one exception what I would correct you on one thing or, or push back on one thing is that Bitcoin is tied to energy. So it takes massive amounts of computing power and energy to mint a Bitcoin. Every other asset out there with the exception of uh, Litecoin and I hate to say it, Dogecoin, um, these, those are offshoots of the Bitcoin blockchain, but Ethereum, Cardano, you know, uh, Floki, you know, uh, 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 Matic, all of these other coins, they had ICOs, which is in, uh, initial coin offering, it's like an IPO. Mm -hmm. So there are securities, they can be printed by a human being in the form of a software coder. Bitcoin, you cannot, no one can go in and change anything. It is hard coded, cryptographically encoded used to bring it to be brought into existence by energy. So it is digital energy. Uh, my, uh, 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 I guess, uh, very uh, big proponent of uh, Michael Saylor, who I'm sure if people are, are Bitcoin maximalists, they've, they've seen Mr. Saylor speak on this numerous times, but he really goes into this very well. I also recommend that if you or your listeners want to kind of get into that, the, it, it should be uh, reading for every and all, you know, all levels of high school and college. It's something called the, the book called the Bitcoin 
standard. It's not necessarily about Bitcoin. And as a matter of fact, just the, the last chapters about Bitcoin or last two chapters, it's mostly about the history of money. But Bitcoin is tied to energy. It is tied to energy. It's, it's digital energy and then some. But everything else, you are correct. I mean, it, it's supply, demand. It can be printed. They can be regulated out of existence. And look, Bitcoin can be attacked. I mean, you can start shutting down exchanges like the U.S. government has been doing. And for some, rightfully so, I get why. Um, but if you cut off access points to buying crypto or buying Bitcoin, then that would pinch off Bitcoin's popularity in the United States. But what would happen is Bitcoin would flee to a better jurisdiction like El Salvador. Lebanon is another one that's using Bitcoin very heavily. Um, uh, 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 Syria, uh, Russia is transacting in Bitcoin on a certain level. Uh, it's huge in Africa, huge. I want to say Zimbabwe, uh, Nambia. Um, uh, very, very huge uh, because when you have nothing in some of these third world countries, and I, you know, I, I don't use that term lightly. And you know, you a person that a, a mother, a single family mother that lives in Austin, Texas, that's raising three kids, um, can maybe have the the ability to buy an apartment, buy a house, right, buy American property. They also have the ability to buy Bitcoin, which is a digital property. They can buy stocks. You know, they, they can put their money in multiple places, assuming that they can afford it. You don't need to buy a lot of stocks. You can buy, you know, small property, whatever. But if you're a single mother in Nambia, you, you don't have access to American real estate. But if you find out that you can go on to your local crypto exchange or, or any 7-Eleven across the globe, you go to a Bitcoin ATM, you put your, your fiat, uh, local fiat currency in there and out comes Bitcoin into your hardware wallet. Um, and a person in Nambia, a mother would say, hey, wait, I can buy the same type of property that a millionaire can buy in New York, that a, a, a person in California can buy, a person in London can buy. That is a massive win for property rights and um, sovereignty across the globe. That to me is true equality um, where there's no borders. So I'm a very big proponent of crypto, excuse me, of Bitcoin. I am not a, a, a cryptocurrency advocate. I am a, a you know, a, I am very much so in love with what Bitcoin has achieved and where it's going. That being said, it's a very small portion of my personal portfolio because I'm diversified yeah. and well, we will that, use it. Yeah. Now in that, how do you see or do you recommend like people going around things especially in bad economies like like nowadays so i think it depends on the person right so it depends there's a there's going to be a lot of ifs ands and buts here uh i'm, I'm i may be not i'm not as an, as an advanced investor as say um ray dalio but i may be more advanced than some of the people that are out there looking at this so I would say if you were just starting off, you'd want to make sure that if you put your money into uh, some sort of currency uh, or excuse me, some sort of investment, when do you expect to get your money back? Do you want to make sure that you're putting your money in, a, in, a, in a, an investment and you can't touch it? Is that okay if you can't touch it? Do you need to be able to pull the money out quickly? If so, are you okay with paying taxes on your gains? You know, so there's a lot of questions. I would say to the average person that just has money in a bank account, whether it's you know $1,000 or $100,000, maybe you own a little bit of real estate, you wanna be diversified in real estate. I, I'm not a big fan of stocks, although I know that there are stocks out there that perform well. Um, if you are gonna do stocks, I would look at like dividend stocks. These are like financial products that are built through uh, BlackRock or uh, Vanguard. They have like high dividend earning stocks like HDR, I believe is one, pays like a 4% stock. But if you're going to do that, you might as well just go to treasurydirect.gov and you can just go there and buy, freeze your money up for two months in U.S. Treasuries. I think you're making anywhere between three and a half and four percent. And it's, it's, you know, basically like having your money in a bank account. You can also try going to credit unions. I know the, uh, some of the credit unions out there will allow you to put it in a money market savings account that will let you earn three and a half percent. And again, that's just no brainer. You just put the money there, it earns three and a half percent. Now, granted, it's not um, uh, it's not the same as the um, 
putting uh, your money into something and making a 12% return. But if you just want a no-brainer, safe place, I would say bonds. I would say uh, you know high dividend stocks like HDR. I, again, I'm, I'm not. This is this is my opinion. This is not financial advice. But I would say if I were in that position, I would look at high dividend stocks uh, through BlackRock or Vanguard. I would also look at absolutely positively going to a, a, a some sort of crypto exchange and something called cost dollar average into Bitcoin and only Bitcoin. Uh, that would be what I would do personally. Don't worry. You know, a lot of people go, oh, my God, Bitcoin's twenty six thousand dollars. I can't afford that. You one Bitcoin can be divided into a hundred million dollar units called Satoshis. Mm -hmm. So for every one Bitcoin that you buy, that's a hundred million Satoshis that you're buying. You can buy them in Satoshis or Sats, S-A-T-S. So you, what I would recommend is, you know, you go to like Coinbase or whatever one you decide to use. And you can set like a buy order where every month you spend your your credit card gets charged twenty dollars no matter what the cost of bitcoin is and your cost dollar averaging into bitcoin you're buying it twenty dollars a month little by little by little and i promise you when you turn around in two years you're going to go wow i spent you know 480 dollars on crypto uh, on bitcoin and now this 480 dollars is worth 1800 bucks I wish I spent more. That's going to be your big thing is I wish it was more. And that's that's a you know, so I would say a combination of those three. Of course, if you can get into real estate, that's also a very good thing that we can talk about. I would highly recommend that if you are going to look at real estate, you want to look, uh, especially in seller fine, excuse me, you want to look at real residential real estate where not necessarily going through a realtor. Of course, that's easy if you have the W-2s and the income to do that. But you want to look reach out to realtors and you say, hey, Mr. and Mrs. Realtor, I am looking for properties that have been on the market for six to eight months with no price movement down. And I'd like you to reach out to these people and I'd like to see, I'd like to find out what their story is. Why didn't they lower their price? A lot of the times they say, I'm not selling unless I get $100,000, I don't care. Well, you can approach these people and say, hey, I'll give you your $100,000 if you let me give you $30,000 down and then I'll pay you the other 70,000 back over the next five years. And then in five years, I'll pay you, pay you off completely. That's called a seller finance loan. Mm -hmm. If you can arrange a transaction like that, you avoid dealing with banks. You avoid having to do credit checks. You avoid having to do your W-2s. You have, all you have to do is make a deal with the person. You give them a down payment. You maybe have to pay a realtor fee for have them find it. You pay a couple of dollars in closing costs. And now you just completely circumvented that very arduous process of going through a bank underwriting on, on a you know, seller finance on a, on a uh, single family home. So there's multiple ways that people can transact in multiple investment strategies, not going in through the front door like the mainstream media or all the clickbait headline ads say you have to. Yeah, like getting rid of the intermediary is uh, is a good thing. <laughs> so that would be my recommendation on how spread it, how to spread money around. Yeah. Um, definitely want to set up a cost dollar average in the Bitcoin. That could cost dollar averaging can also be done for Tesla stock or or Microsoft stock, which pays a dividend, or McDonald's stock, which pays a dividend. You know, so you can do it with stocks as well, brand name stocks where you put in $20 a month, $20 a month, $20 a month, it adds up. You are buying, when you buy Bitcoin, you are buying property. It's just digital property and you don't leave it on your computer. You put it in something called a hardware wallet, which is like an encrypted USB. You pop it in, you basically email the Bitcoin to your hardware wallet, take the hardware wallet, you put it in your safe and it's like holding a bar of gold. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's a very interesting, concept that's still in its infancy yeah awesome well abby can you add something that i missed asking you about that you would like to mention now yeah i mean uh, i think we've covered quite a bit uh i i you know i can uh, um you know really speak you know there, there's a lot of things that are happening in the world and i will say this this uh, doesn't matter where you come from where you're going who you are who you love where you live I would say this to everyone, all 8 million souls, uh, or hopefully a, a portion of them that are actually listening to the, uh, the, the, you know, this, this podcast, 
you want to make sure that you do your own research. I know it's difficult. I know it becomes arduous. What you see today is not necessarily what you get. I'll give you an example, uh, just anecdotally speaking. My wife and I, just like everyone else, were affected by COVID. It, we relocated from one look, you know, one from our previous location or current location uh, for multiple reasons, but COVID definitely initiated that. We got to our new location and you know we're we're in the note business. So we bought, we're heavy, heavy, heavy into real estate notes. You know, like I mentioned, we're diversified uh, through digital assets, specifically Bitcoin. We also have uh, uh, earning, uh, excuse me, asset and positions in uh, um, uh, tech stocks and other stocks of the sort. Um, where we were light, most likely light on a personal level was real estate, right? So we, you know, in COVID, we kind of took advantage of the things that people weren't paying attention to. And we got to our new location. We, were, we wanted this very specific location. And everyone, everyone was telling us it's impossible. It's impossible. It's never going to happen. What you're asking for is crazy. I disagree. <laughs> we got exactly what we wanted. Um, because we did, we, we um, blocked out the noise of everyone saying it can't be done, it can't be done. Now, granted, we are in the real estate industry, so we know where to look, but I took my own advice and actually formulated that. And we went to different realtors. We said, hey, realtors, we're looking for this property. We want to make sure it's on the market for this amount of time. We, we're, we're really looking for not a distressed property, although we wouldn't mind a distressed property. We're looking for a distressed seller. Right. Uh, we found a distressed seller. We scooped up the property for almost 40% less than what it was supposed to sell for in the middle of the height of the COVID craziness. And now we're building a, 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 a rental property on this beachfront piece of land that we purchased. It, it, it just goes to show that that it, it's nothing to do with luck. It's nothing to do with, you know, it, it is everything to do with drive and focus mm -hmm. and just making sure that you block out the noise that applies to work, that applies to investing, that implies to social uh, aspects and social uh, situations. It can also apply to family. There's many, many ways to apply this anecdotal method, I guess you can say, but just listen to your, the little, the little voice that lives right here. And I know that sounds cliche and a little gimmicky, but I'll tell you what, ever since you March have to listen 20, to your own voice sometimes, right? Yeah. to listen to your own voice. Because it's good this to will have, create opportunities for you. It absolutely will. It's the North Star. And I, had a tough time listening to that voice. And it, with, like I said, COVID changed everything um, from a financial perspective, from a medical perspective, from a, a familial perspective, a social perspective. And uh, I feel like a lot of us are going to come out stronger for it. Yeah. Oh, hopefully it is. Hopefully it's going to be some good times coming ahead instead of the bad times. We have to always look at the bright side rather there's, than the negative side. <laughs> there's always a bull run somewhere. So I, I uh, are, uh, you know, it's very, very true. In, in if you spend enough time around money, and I'm not saying I'm like being rich, but I'm saying people that you work for, people that you transact with that are in, uh, in and around a lot of money, you, you really find out very quickly. Um, and I came from a very poor background, FYI. So very, very poor. Everything I have, I my wife and I did it ourselves. Uh, but when you find that um, you, you come, there's always a bull run somewhere. So as bad as it is here, I'm not suggesting that we become experts on the Singapore stock market, but there may be a stock bull run in Singapore. There may be a bull run in China. Not saying that you may or may not want to, you know, contribute to that economy, but there's always a bull run somewhere. And another example um, is like we have an investor who we were working with, and this person was scooping up gas stations. It didn't make any sense. Terrible, ugly, problematic, environmentally compromised gas stations. But he was they were doing it in Florida, in Texas, well, mostly in Florida. But and I, the, the company, the background of the company was uh, hospitality. So they dealt in restaurant investment. I couldn't figure out why. Lo and behold, they had the great idea to take these restaurants and convert them into out, indoor, outdoor, organic, grass-fed, you know, very, very trendy diners. 
straight Americana, fried chicken, chicken soup, burgers. I mean, just amazing. They opened one here in South Florida. They're opening their second location in uh, 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 outside of the Fort Myers area. They're opening a location in Miami. This is something that can be franchised out. My point is, is that who would have thought in the middle of all this commercial property going down the tubes, everyone's staying away from environmental properties altogether. And here comes this opportunistic investment firm that's buying these up and converting them to diners, um, uh, restaurants, American eateries, like very casual, you know, uh, quality food eateries, where if you go to these locations in our area, there's lines around the corner. I've never seen anything like it. They can't get them open fast enough. Now they're talking about opening in Austin. They're talking about Phoenix. They're talking about San Diego, LA. So there's always opportunity somewhere. Don't believe exactly. the headlines. Exactly, exactly. So uh, amazing talk here with you, Abby. Uh, where can people get in touch with you, learn more about you, if they want to learn more about you and what you do? Sure. So the name of the company uh, we founded is called Amerinote Exchange. That is Amerinote Exchange. And the word exchange is only spelled with an X. That's AmerinoteExchange.com. We are a loan acquisition firm that specializes in the purchase and management of first position, second position, residential, commercial, and special use mortgage loans. We operate across multiple jurisdictions across the country. We you know, buy loans from Mr. and Mrs. Smith down the street that seller financed a one-off transaction to Wall Street uh, hedge funds and Wall Street investment firms that are selling you know, uh, billion-dollar portfolios. So we are front and center in the space. You can find us there. And then Amerinote Exchange also lives on their social platform at AmerinoteX, which is on Twitter, at AmerinoteX, which is on Twitter. We do have a Facebook presence, um, AmerinoteExchange.com as well, although we spend most of our time uh, on Twitter, sometimes on Facebook. So I don't want to discourage the Facebook users uh, for sure to reach out to us there. Awesome. Well, awesome. Thank you Abby, for your speech here and for the information that you provided us and the knowledge that people like to know about like because it's you, are, you you don't have to be discouraged in the time of crisis you have to look at the good sides and look for opportunities and if there are no opportunities for you you can open a new door and create them right that's correct a hundred percent and again do your own research um and just don't believe the hype um and you know good hunting <laughs>